Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today where we're being joined by one of the minor league hitting coaches in the Colorado Rockies organization. We've got Trevor Burmeister on the phone today. Uh, very excited for this one. I'll give you a quick background on Trevor before we jump into questions with him so you know where he's come from. He's got a great background, a great history, uh, and, and mostly at the college level, which I always think is interesting to go from college to pro ball. He is uh, originally from Verona, Wisconsin. 2010 and 2011, he played at Madison Area Tech, a junior college in Madison, Wisconsin. 2011, his second year there, he hit 330. He was named an academic all-conference player both years he was there. He finished his playing career in 2012 and 13, playing at UW Lacrosse, an NCAA Division III school. He was a two-year letter winner uh, at Lacrosse. 2014 and 15, he started his coaching career as an assistant coach at UW Lacrosse. The 2015 team went to the NCAA Division III World Series. The springs of 2015 and 16, he was an assistant coach for the Madison Mallards in the Northwoods League, a really good team in a really good league uh, in the Northwoods. If you don't know much about the Northwoods League, you should check it out sometimes. A lot of really, really good players going through there. The spring of 2016, he was a graduate assistant at Minnesota Duluth, an NCAA Division II school. That year, the team won 39 games and went to an NCAA regional. The team was second in the NCAA Division II in home runs and third in batting average in 2016. Pretty, pretty good offensive team there. Then in the springs of 2017 through 2019, he was an assistant coach at Madison College, which is his alma mater. It used to be called Madison Area Tech. Now it's Madison College. Um, that's a junior college team again in Madison, Wisconsin. The 2018 team went to the NJCAA Division II World Series. The 2019 team went to the World Series as well, finished third nationally, which is amazing. Uh, not too many guys get a chance to have that experience. In 2019, Coach Burmeister was named the ABCA and Baseball America Division II Junior College Assistant Coach of the Year. Um, as a as a college coach, that was the end of his college coaching career. In his college coaching career, he went to nine regionals. His teams with nine regionals and made five trips to the College World Series. Uh, pretty incredible. So going into the spring of 2020, he was initially hired to be the volunteer at Xavier, a Division One school in Ohio. But then several months at, or, or shortly after that happened, after he was hired to go there, he was offered a job to join the Rockies in the minor leagues uh, as a minor league hitting coach, and, and that's where he is right now. Obviously, the 2020 season for the minor leagues didn't happen, but he's a part of the Rockies organization, uh, doing several things to keep himself busy right now. So, Trevor, I appreciate taking the time to be with us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Looking forward to it. Um, so let's just talk briefly. I like to start usually with something from the bio that stands out. Uh, and if we can start talking here just about um, – when you were originally hired to join the Rockies organization, you were set to go be a part of a, of a pretty good Division One team in, in Xavier, uh, right outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, but had a chance to join the Rockies as a minor league hitting coach. I'm just kind of curious what helped you to make that decision. Like, What was it about jumping into the minor leagues that was maybe more exciting or you thought was a better opportunity or for whatever reason made you decide to jump from college to have a chance to – coaching pro ball well yeah that was an incredibly crazy time in my life because <laughs> uh you know like you kind of mentioned in the bio there i, I committed to go into xavier university with uh, billy o'connor the head coach there and have a lot of respect for him and their program and the trajectory of where that program is going and that it was very shortly after that uh darren everson with the colorado rockies the hitting coordinator gave me a call and even said to me, he goes, hey, I'm not trying to make your life more complicated, but i got to talk to you about something. <laughs> so um had the conversations with him, and I think to answer your question, what really intrigued me about the Rockies' position is it's strictly in player development. And from my background, both as a player and as a coach at the junior college level, especially with how we ran our program at Madison College, that's what it's all about. It's all about getting these players that maybe did not have the options that they aspired to out of high school and developing their own individual skill sets to hopefully by the time that they're done at Madison College open up some doors that were not available to them out of high school. So, you know, being able to be a junior college coach, um, you know, I think everybody knows it's like it's, it's a great place to coach because you don't have as many restrictions 
as the NCAA puts on coaches in terms of time and all that, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, being able to work with these guys day in and day out and, you know, have the one-on-one conversations, look at them from their own individual lens. I felt like when I was talking to Darren and everybody else, the Colorado Rockies, that this job within player development with the Colorado Rockies completely fit my personality and the things I like to do best, which is basically get a messy puzzle and try to put it together. You know, the only difference with it is at Madison College is about trying to get these guys opportunity, prepare them for whatever is next within college baseball. Now the difference is I'm working with professional athletes and all of them, you know, we want to try to make them big leaguers someday. So it's just a little bit different in terms of that, but in terms of the work that we do together, I felt like it was going to be very similar and fit my personality well. It's it's interesting that you, you kind of bring up the idea of getting a messy puzzle and putting it together, especially in the minor leagues. Obviously, if you have a guy in the minor leagues, he's got something. He's got something that somebody liked. Even if it's a 35th rounder, there there's something about about that guy that made a scout say, yeah, let's give him a shot, total shot in the dark, but let's see what happens here. Maybe there's a chance to develop something. Uh, I know you didn't get a chance to work a lot. It's not like you had a full season this year or anything with minor league guys, but but f- from your the, the short time that you've spent uh, in a major league organization as a part of a major league organization. Um, what are some steps that you take as a hitting coach to first of all recognize what pieces there are in this in this messy puzzle metaphor? What, how do you recognize what pieces there are? In other words, what tools this player has to work with, and then begin to see see the picture of what the final puzzle can look like. And then begin to figure out where those pieces fit. In other words, you know, put the pieces together and, and help this player to, you know, figure out what the player can become and help to sort of step by step begin to become that player. Uh, how, do, how do you begin to sort of recognize and see those things and begin the player development process? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's um, a lot of it has to come from all these guys, even like in the minor leagues, they're not finished products. And like you said, there's a reason why they're there. I mean, a lot of them, you know, when you look at their tools, you know, might have one plus tool and others that just complement it really well. Some of the better, the better players that they get drafted in like the first five rounds, they typically have a couple tools that are, are plus. But the idea is to like, to look at them. And I think to answer your question, a lot of it comes from the conversation that we have as a staff. I mean, you have a lot of really, really good, high-quality baseball people with really good eyes. And um, being able to get all those people to look at each player and then have these conversations of, hey, this is where he's at. These are his strengths. These are the areas where we think he needs to grow. And having that um, combined understanding um when you have a lot of really good people looking at it, it, it definitely helps in that process. But I think the most important part of it is, especially in the Rockies organization, I'm sure it's like this in other organizations too, is we really want these players to take control of their own careers. So, for example, like you mentioned, it was a, for everybody, it was a really crazy year. I, I was only in spring training for two weeks, then I got sent home because of COVID. So I was just getting my feet wet. You know, and a big part of that was, in my time when I was actually there was actually forming relationships with these guys, letting them get to know me, me getting to know them, um, and building that trust between us so that when it came time to go to work, you know, we, we had that, that built in trust to, um, to get, to get some things done. But when we got into COVID, we didn't want just to like say, okay, Hey, we can't do anything. We didn't approach it that way. We, we tried to do it the best that we could virtually. And, I loved how the Rockies handled it. They basically gave all the hitting coaches a big group of, of hitters within the organization that we were to communicate with weekly. And what we did is that we came up with uh, basically a player development plan for each guy where they answer the questions first, and a lot of it had to do, okay, what are your strength areas and how are we going to maintain them? Okay, what are your growth areas or the areas where you feel like you need to grow the most? And what are we going to do to grow those areas? When you let the guys kind of answer those questions first, right, and then you have, like I said, the camaraderie or the, 
you know, the group understanding of all the coaches as a part of the organization of the, you know, the conversations we've had in the past already or currently are having of this player, then we can have a better idea of how to communicate specifically with that player and helping them and basically guide them in the right direction of maintaining their strengths, looking at these growth areas where they know they want to improve and then, uh, and helping them improve in those areas also. So, um, you know, I think the way that it has to be done is um, you can't rush to judgment. You need to, you know, really take your time. Um, that was one of the parts of the experience because of COVID that was unfortunate was, you know, I, I really did not get the opportunity with a lot of these players to um, see them in live action and see them in the cage as much as I would have liked to to create even a broader understanding. So that's where I really lean on and rely on the other guys, the other coaches that have been a part of the organization for a longer time to get as much information as I can. Um, and then it just makes our the conversations that I have with the players even that more important to create uh, a really concise understanding of where they're at and where we want to get them to. Not being able to rush to judgment with a player, that's something that I'm going to guess was born in you as a college coach, because especially as a young college coach, at least for me and for a lot of the guys that I've worked with and around, the younger a coach is, the more you want to jump in and coach guys right away. And, and a lot of times in college, you get a guy that shows up in the fall, especially a freshman, and like you just, the first day you see things that you want to change or like here's a drill that we need to work on for you. But sometimes you, the, the experienced coaches will, or you know, a lot of times a head coach will come to a young coach and say, hey, Let's just let's just back off. Let's hold off. Let's let's watch this guy. A lot of organizations, uh, college teams have, you know, something in place where like we're not going to really do much coaching at all during the fall. We're just going to kind of let them play. Then we're going to have a winter uh, sort of a time where we're going to work on any mechanical changes or whatever. But in fall, we're basically just going to let them play and see who they are because we got to get a sample size. Is that true with you? Is that something that that happened to you in college? Did you experience that as a young coach where you had to have somebody with more experience kind of back you off and say like, hey, you got to watch this guy for a while first? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think, I think all of us, especially like when I first started coaching, I knew, you know, throughout my playing career, um, the way I would describe myself as a player is I was an overachiever. I didn't have like the physical tools. And I joke with all the players that I get to coach now. It's like, you know, I, I coach guys now that are so much more talented than I was, but because of that, I kind of came to the realization. I had dreams as a kid, you know, especially going through college. I want to play professional baseball, but I kind of figured out about my junior year that my physical skill set probably wasn't going to make that happen. So then, you know, for me, I, I still want to be the best player that I could be. And, I, you know, I wanted to contribute. I wanted to be on the field. But my thoughts really started to trans, transition into I knew I wanted to coach. and I wanted to get into coaching. And luckily, when I got done with my playing career at UW Lacrosse, uh, Chris Shores, who, you know, I owe a ton to because he gave me my first start right away. He, he let me join the coaching staff. And I think back to me when I was or think back to who I was back then. I was that excitable coach where maybe it was a little bit too too much too quick, right? And I, I felt like I had all this really good information that I wanted to share. I was obsessed in learning new information as I was going about it that I wanted to share. Um, so absolutely, it, I think there was, there was definite times where it maybe even wasn't as much from the head coach telling me to back off. It was more so me creating this understanding within myself of, okay, cool the Jets here a little bit, dude. Like, let's let's calm down. And I think that's part of the societal issue. It's like, we crave quick results. We want to try to create quick results. But I think you know this, Jeff, like, especially in the sport, it doesn't work that way. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, and this relates to, you know, how I think we need to approach it also with the Colorado Rockies. When I was at Madison College, our head coach, who I think is one of the best in the business, Mike Davenport, made it a precedent that, like you kind of alluded to, early on in the fall, we don't want to say too much. We want the guys to go out and play. We want to try to get as much information as possible as we can from them. Um, let them be themselves. Uh, let them play to their personalities. Kind of figure them out even more. And then once we have all this information, we know how we can target it and get to work. Um, specifically for that that individual. But a big part of it also is 
the, I mean, the college ranks, even professionally, there's nothing wrong with letting these guys come in and not saying too much to them and let them fail. I mean, it, it, as soon as they go and they understand, it's like a high school kid going to college, the margin of error is smaller, the pitching's better, they're going to get exposed. That's not like a bad thing, and it's not something that we like get excited about that they're going to show up to the field and struggle. But it's a part of the, it's a part of the, the maturation. It's a part of the growth that they need to understand. Like, okay, I was a really good player in high school. And now I'm at, now I'm in now I'm in college, right? A lot of these guys they were their best players up on their high school team. Now they're getting exposed. They're starting to realize, okay, I'm I'm not a finished product. There's plenty of areas where I need to improve on. The same thing happens at the professional level. Um, obviously, the talent there is the best of the best. And when those guys kind of go through those moments, I remember one of our uh, minor league hitters who's who's really a darn good hitter was talking about his first experience in professional ball, his first season, and walking up to the plate, <laughs> like looking at the scoreboard and seeing like 220 on the scoreboard for that batting average, right? And he said, like, I had like this realization of, man, I got some work to do. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. And then once they realize that and you build the trust with them, um, you form the relationship with them, then it becomes really fun because then you can get to work. They have this drive. They have this hunger to them where, you know, it's, it's easier to identify those growth areas that are needed and then we can actually attack it and, and try to make something of it. A lot of times with college guys, which is my only experience coaching, well, my highest experience level of coaching, um, college guys don't, a lot of times they don't like to make, they're, they're not super quick to make adjustments as freshmen kind of until they fail, which I think is part of the whole thing about, letting guys play for a while instead of saying something the first day. Most times a guy shows up out of high school. He's had, he's had success in high school. He's had success in travel ball. He gets there on campus. He feels very confident. And sometimes it's like until they experience failure, they're not going to be super open to a lot of suggestions, a lot of change, because it's like, well, I've, I've done this all my life and I've been successful. Why would I try to change something? So you talked about with the player development with the Rockies, when you had to go virtual that you sort of wanted to identify areas of strength and you wanted to identify areas um, where the player needed to grow. Um, and you, and you talked, you had these conversations with players. Do you think that like forcing a, a player to have that conversation almost overcomes the, the thing where a guy needs to fail a little bit before he will really become coachable? Because I kind of think of the same thing, I would assume the same thing would happen. Just say a guy gets drafted and he's in his first year. You're coaching in a low minor leagues, for example, and you have a guy that uh, was a high draft pick out of college or a high draft pick out of high school. And, and obviously that guy comes in with a ton of confidence, which you want. Um, do, do, you, do you think that uh, that they might – are there the same things in the minor leagues where a guy might be a little bit resistant to a lot of coaching until he experiences failure and it's sort of like one B to that question. Do you think that having the conversation where you force a player to talk about their strengths and then talk about areas they'd like to grow and get better, do you think that that um, sort of overcomes that boundary and helps them to be more coachable right now? So again, this year you're, you're not playing actual games. You're just you guys are training at home. They're training. Uh, you're, you're having Zoom calls. The guy's got to work on his own. So why not work on areas that you need to kind of get better at? Do you think that conversation that you that the Rockies wanted you to have with guys talking about strengths and talking about areas where they need to grow, does that um, sort of uh, bring down a wall where, where a guy sort of on his own volition becomes coachable because he, you're, you're asking him to talk about areas that he'd like to get better? Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, these guys are smart, man, and they they want to be successful. I mean, especially at the professional level, it's you know it, it it's not like they they, they want to continue to to fail. And you know, I think uh, you know the, def, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same or expecting a different result. And they understand that, they get that. But no, the I think in general, like. The most important thing when it comes to, um, you know, creating coachable people and, you know, bringing awareness is, is making these guys talk and probing them with really good questions. And how one guy answers the questions I give them is going to be different from the other guys. So then there's a lot of power in that, too, because then I'm understanding 
how how their lens works, how they perceive things, how they communicate things, then I can remember that so that when I'm working with this one player versus another, I can formulate my own language and my own dialogue that fits with how they explain things and how they see things. Like, the communication aspect is so important when it comes to, um, you know, helping these guys. And that's the, the whole cliche of, you know, there's... Um, there's there's multiple ways of skinning a cat. You you have to be willing to do that. Like it's um, it, it cannot be a one size fits all mentality of how you approach it with each guy. And yeah, I think um, I think it's incredibly important, and it's just a part of that process too. Like when you're probing them with the right questions, you're asking them the right questions. You're you're making these guys take more control of their own careers. You're giving them a say in their development and where they see they need to go. Um, you're giving them the permission to tell you, hey, I feel like I'm really good in these areas already. How am I going to maintain it? So it's all calculated. It's all part of it. And it 100% um, helps these guys kind of internalize things a little bit more. But like I said, the most important part for me personally, because I'm a coach, is that I get to understand how they actually um, perceive things and how they communicate things, which makes me a lot more um, prepared when it comes to me actually being in the cage and communicating with them. Let's talk a little bit about just a player taking his own development in, into his own hands, taking responsibility for his own career, his own development, his own progression. That might seem like such an obvious thing to people that are listening to this, but what does the opposite of that look like? Because every coach experiences that. Uh, a player that's, that doesn't do that, that, that doesn't uh, take responsibility for their own growth and development, what does that look like as a coach uh, when you've experienced that in the past, whether it's in whether it's in college or, or any other level, like what does that look like? Uh, what's what is the player saying or doing that that makes you see basically that like you or have a conversation that says like you you've got to take responsibility here. Like this has got to be you've got to be the one driving this, not me. What does that look like for you? I'll give you a funny answer. It looks like a bobblehead. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like a guy that's been told what to do his entire life. So you know, and I think. You know, a lot of guys, especially that come fully through the college ranks, and it's no fault to them or fault to the coaches that have coached them. A lot of it you have to consider is the limited time that a lot of these coaches have with a large group of hitters. So, like, in a lot of these programs, these guys have always been told, hey, this is what we're doing today, this is how we're going to do it, and so forth. So we have to understand that, too. Like, when you have a guy that's been, you know, coming that has come through the college ranks we have to we have to really consider that and really probe them with right questions to start making them be a little bit more intuitive and grabbing control of those reins but to answer your question what it really looks like is it, it looks like a guy that wants to always be told what to do and for me that doesn't work because like when he's in the batter's box and he's facing the pitcher and I'm sitting in the dugout you know, I can't be yelling out to him what to do between every single pitch. He has to figure it out himself. So it's that's part of the developmental process that is really important, especially at the professional levels. I think at any level, is that trying to to create the ability to have these guys think for themselves, um, have the ability to act on their own thoughts. And the only way that can be done for a lot of guys is through these conversations, through these questions, making them think, making them come up with their own answer. And then once we have like this, you know, understanding together, then our job as coaches to then take that information and then guide them in the right direction, but not tell them exactly what to do. Very, it's very interesting to me, and especially this year again with with all the virtual training that has to go on, uh, or that had to go on with with most organizations and with college guys. I mean, college guys were no different. I talked to some college coaches earlier this year that they kind of likened college baseball right now to what a lot of minor league guys deal with because a lot of minor league guys are off for five or six months in the off season. And, and if you don't do what's necessary in that time, you're going to be behind when you come back. And I'm just kind of curious as to what, just talking about what things look like, what, you know, what, what things look like or sound like, or uh, for, for coaches to be able to recognize things and for coaches that are listening to this to be able to do a better job with their own team, regardless of what level they're coaching. How, uh, how do you create, a training environment 
where players feel like they have freedom. They don't necessarily have to do like it's not like sometimes in college. Okay, we're going to hit today, and we're going to have four hitting stations, and this is what you're going to do in each station. But like for for two guys that maybe are different kinds of hitters, all four of those things might not really uh, be super pertinent to their swing and what they're trying to do, their approach, whatever it is. Uh, especially if you have some drills, some some front toss or or T drills mixed in. What do you think is the best way, Trevor, to create a training environment where players feel like? they're able to spend all their time working on things that are going to help them to become the best player they can be focusing on, you know, maintaining their strengths, um, uh, getting better at their weaknesses, focusing on those sort of things. How do you create the, the proper training environment in your mind? I think um, th- there has to be some individualism with each guy. And like, that can be really tough for certain coaches based off of the constraints that they have in terms of time and, you know, what they have available to them and with their training with their players. But it's no different than it makes no sense, like from a strength trainer's perspective to give like pitchers the same workout program as position players. Like it has to be from an individual lens of like where this guy is at, like where he needs to go to. And that's where it's like when people ask me, like, what is your overall hitting philosophy? It's, it's such, like, an uh, impossible question to answer because everybody has to be viewed from this own individual lens. Everybody's different. Their needs are different. And I've been thinking about this a lot, and this might be a long-winded answer, but, um, you know, a big part of me is, like, I've been trying to, like, take all of these different things that I've been learning, not only from the baseball player development side, but sports psych, everything, and trying to put it all into, like, this one common vision. And here's what I believe is that, and I've, and I've been in environments like this, I've been around coaches like this, and it's no fault to them. All, all coaches want their players to be better. They want their programs to be successful. But I've, I've asked players this, and I've, you know, I've, I've, I've probed them with these questions of, when you can think about when you first started to, like, actually be coached to be a better hitter, how much of the coaching was internal in terms of the thoughts. And what I mean by that is like, hey, your hands are doing this, don't let your hands do that. Or your stride foot's doing this, don't let your stride foot do that. Um, Or anything where it's like specific to an individual body part. And a lot of the guys will answer like the majority of the coaching they have gotten is that. So when you look at the sports psych and what that tells us, they don't know. I mean, they think it's like, we have anywhere from 30,000 to 60,000 thoughts a day, but the brain is only prepared and only capable of handling one thought at a time. So if we know that, right, and the only way we coach guys is making them overly internal in terms of how they're going about making adjustments, and now they're walking up to the plate and they can only handle one thought at a time, if they're thinking about that one and only internal thought when there's a baseball about to get thrown at them, it doesn't work. Their, their level of success is going to plummet in terms of what they can potentially do. The, uh, Dr. Tom Hansen, who is pretty well known in the baseball community, he had a lot of work with Ken Revisa. He talks about the one constant object or the most important object when you're in the, the batter's box is the baseball itself. And if your focus level is not solely on that baseball, you know, we're going to, our success levels are going to be, uh, it's going to be really difficult. Right, it's going to be a tough ask. Um, so I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think the most important thing for me, and this is what I really want to attack going forward, is look at each guy from an individual lens. Okay, what are they showing? Where are the growth areas where we need to improve? Right, And how can we actually establish feel, yet still make these guys not become overly internal and that's not meaning like I'm never going to give them an internal thought I will on occasion I just think we need to back off of it at you know not have it be like our number one way of coaching so there's a lot of different creative ways and there's a lot of really smart people that I've been talking to over the last year and a half or so of how we can go about this and the ideas that I think are really powerful is the use of constraints and implements and constraints are basically something you can put on a player that 
creates a limitation or a restriction within their movement so they can actually feel what's happening. Or an implement is a tool that you can use or any sort of equipment that is used for a specific purpose. Like, for example, if a guy is losing his barrel super early and I want him to feel being more direct on top of the ball, I might have him put his back foot on a yoga block, right, to help him feel more on top of the ball. That would be use of an implement. A constraint example would be um, a guy that's, like, pushing out of the ground um, and losing the ground early and his back foot's dragging through and he's becoming, like, a loose string and over-rotational through his swing. I might put a band around his knees and just tell him, hey, take 10 swings. I want you to try to maintain tension in this band, right? When we go through creative ways like that, right, you're not taking them off the baseball. You're letting the constraint, you're letting the implements do their jobs, right, for them. For me, I don't even explain to them beforehand what are we trying to accomplish with this. It's just like, hey, I'm going to put this thing on you or I'm going to put your foot on this, this yoga block, whatever it may be. Just take 10 swings and still try to drive the ball uh, on the, to the top of the L screen. So now they're still, they still have an external focus and they have this constraint, this implement that's doing this job for them. When they're about swing 8 to 10, then you ask them, hey, you stop them and go, what are you feeling right now? And the cool part about this is I've really been experimenting with this for probably about the last month, like really using these constraints and these implements within my training. And when I ask that question, what are you feeling right now? As of right now, it's been like 100% that the feedback that they give me is exactly what I was trying to accomplish with using that constraint or that implement. So it's kind of a, a broad topic, and I'm sure you have some questions regarding it, but um, I think we, we really need to be conscious of how we go about our training to help these guys feel the things that they need to feel. Feel is the most important thing. Um, and... But at the same time, understand the sports psych, not make this overly complicated for them in terms of we want to try to keep their brain and their focus level on the baseball as much as possible, but still try to create the right feels with the things that we put them through. Holy cow, this is going to be a three-hour podcast now, Trevor. <laughs> uh, this is this is awesome. This is stuff that I, I'm, so, I'm excited to talk about, I really want to talk about. So uh, I always felt as a coach the same as, the same as you that – when you're when you're competing, if you're thinking about anything but competing, it's it's not going to work. It's not going to happen for you. You're not going to get results. If you're thinking about any mechanical things, if you're thinking as you, as the the term to use your terminology, if you're thinking about uh, internal cues, you're going to have a very hard time um, just having any any success for for multiple reasons. And you talk about feel too, which is another thing that I like to talk about. So with these implements that you use, the constraints and the implements. Um, so you don't actually you don't necessarily explain why we're doing this or or what you're supposed to get out of this. You basically just you give them the constraint, you give them the implement, and say, do the same thing that you typically do. This well, you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to hit a ball, drive a ball off the top of that L screen, but just do it with this constraint, and then that sort of they, they almost self-correct in that way. Is that is that the experience yeah. that you've had? Yeah, and the reason that I don't want to explain it too much from the beginning is that when I ask them the question on, like, swing 8 to 10, hey, what are you feeling right now? If I explain it too much from the at the beginning, they're just going to regurgitate what I want them to, to feel or, like, what I've already explained to them. So it's important for me, like we were kind of talking about, of, like, understanding the lens of each guy. I don't I, – when I'm using these implements and these constraints, I don't want to give them too much information from the get-go. I know with what I'm seeing through the research that I've done and the, people, the really smart people that I talk with that this constraint or this implement is going to force the correct feel or it should force the correct feel. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't be putting it on them or I wouldn't be having them do it. But that's the most important part about it. It's like, I'll give you a really funny, and like, I love this one. It's, it's the best. Um, so it's, it's really goofy, but the guys love it. So a guy that's, like, really pushy out of the ground, um, you know, lunging at the ball, one really goofy one that works all the time, and I've, I've done this and it's been great, is a water flipper. So for, like, a swimming water flipper, you put that on their back foot, they cannot do that. They cannot push out <laughs> of the ground. They cannot lunge out of the ground. 
it, it keeps them more connected with the ground. They land in a better position to hit. Um, the middle of the body kind of takes over the swing, and then the back, the back leg or that anchor, if you want to call it that, kind of gets peeled out of the ground with it. So, you know, it, it it's funny because, like, you know, you're talking about a water flipper here, and like, I have one, and I, I I've experimented with it with uh, some some guys I've been working with as of late, and I'll just say to them, hey, you know, I'm seeing something right now that I know we can make better. I want to try something with you. It's goofy, but I want you to put this water flipper on. I want you to take 10 swings, try to drive the ball off the top of the L screen. And then like with this process, when they're about eight, about on a, a, a swing eight, then I stop them and say, hey, what are you feeling right now? And like I said, Jeff, it's been crazy. As of now, almost 100% of the time, their feedback to me is in relation to exactly what I'm wanting them to feel. So... Um, so that's the purpose of it. Don't give them too much information from the start because you just don't want them to regurgitate what you've already told them. You want to understand their lens and what they're actually feeling, make them actually come up with their own answers. But the use of these constraints and these implements forces them to actually feel what they're doing, but it keeps them external in terms of where am I trying to go with the baseball right now. If you use the same implement or constraint with two people who have the same, who have the same issue, and they give you different verbal feedback as far as what they're feeling, but the results are positive for both of them. Is that okay? I mean, is that for, for a coach that's kind of hearing this sort of stuff for the first time and, and is interested in maybe trying something like this, do you need to hear the same feedback from a guy? Like, are, are you going to, if a guy doesn't give you the verbal feedback or give you the feel that you hope to hear, but the result is, is what you want. Is that okay? Or do you feel like you need to eventually, if they're not, if they're not really feeling what you want them to feel, you have to try something different to create the feel. Do you want to like say something to them at that time? Say, this is what I'm trying to do. Do you feel this? And if you don't feel it, we got to do something else. Or again, is it okay for them to tell you they're feeling different things as long as it produces the result that you're hoping for? 100% is necessary. It's needed, right? Like, I don't want, I don't want everybody to have the same answer. Like I was alluding to, by letting them come up with their own answer of what they're specifically feeling, it only helps me going forward because it, it helps me see things from how they are viewing things from their own individual lens. I will say this, and I know this will probably happen, if I put an implement or constraint on somebody and then I stop them, and I ask them what they're feeling, and then I I feel like that implement or that constraint is not doing the job that I was hoping it would do, then you throw it away, get rid of it, move on to the next one. And that's, that's where you need to have, like, this big box of tools that you can go to. Um, and it's not like just – like, the water flipper is not the only thing that I have that will help a guy not push out of the ground. I have a whole bunch of different things that can kind of create the, the same feel. And I think it's also important, it's like, don't become overly reliant on just one implement or one constraint. When it comes to establishing this feel, it's important to, like, if the water flipper works for one guy, find another constraint or implement that will create the same feeling for them, and you're just continuing to hone in that, um, that, self, uh, that self-organization that we needed to actually create the feel that they need to be able to make these adjustments on their own. So... Um, you brought that up earlier. That's what this all comes down to is if we're actually going to help, help these guys be their own best coach, they need to learn how to self-organize. And sometimes with these constraints and these implements, what it, what it really comes down to is changing the environment that they're used to, to make it almost more unstable to create better stability. So I'll give you an example with that one. A guy that I was working with uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, was having a really hard time with how he initiated his swing. The, the engine was way too big. There was way too much violence to how he was starting his swing. So, like, the efficiency in his ball to bat skill was very limited because it was almost like a sellout on every single swing. So I don't even know what this thing is. It's another swimming equipment deal, but it's like this plastic thing that's about the size of a foot. And I put it, it's, it's slick, it's plastic. I put it underneath his front foot, had him hit from his launch position. And if, if, so what I did is I made his environment of his front foot less stable 
because if then if he if his engine's the same and he's like over fired up to start his swing, he's gonna fall on his ass because this because the the the, the plastic piece underneath his front foot is slick, so it it made it unstable for him to figure out the stability he needs in terms of how he triggers to the ball to have really clean and efficient moves to work in really tight windows of time and space, right? So um, sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes what you need to do, and like essentially what I'm doing with that, with the, the plastic piece under his front foot, is I'm feeding the issue. I'm making the issue more difficult for him. And by feeding the issue, I'm helping him feel the issue so that he needs to self-organize and self-correct to figure out, okay, how am I going to make this dump? One of my other favorite ones that I do is... Um, you can use a core velocity belt. You can even just use these guys like they have their baseball pants on, get a Jager band, and hook it up to their uh, the, the belt loop that's like towards their front hip. Stand kind of diagonally behind them, and as they're moving forward, yank on that thing. And this would be really great for guys that like spin hard um, or over rotational that lack like space and direction towards the middle of the field. As they're moving forward, I'm yanking on that band to try to feed the issue, to try to like bring them towards me, their body then needs to self-organize and self-correct and not let me do that, which gets them in the ground better, makes them more uh, square and neutral to the plate, which then will help them, you know, actually hold and maintain direction towards the middle of the field. So um, it's, it's a really unique way of looking at it, but it's a way that we can um, actually create feeling and um, self-organization, which is so, so important when it comes to these guys actually making adjustments. Yet at the same time, like I said, keep their thoughts, let the constraint, let the implement do its job, but keep your, keep your thoughts on the baseball, driving it on top of the L screen, whatever it is, on something that's more external, um, which goes a really long way in terms of them, um, you know, making the adjustments that we're looking for. This is awesome. This is great stuff. And I, I liked this kind of drill as well, those kind of drills as well as a hitting coach. And I think that the verbiage is far better now than it was when I coached. It's like sometimes you, we have, there's terminology that exists in, in the sport now that maybe didn't even five, six, seven, eight years ago that is, as far as just explaining why this particular type of thing is going to work and why it's not, such as constraints, implements, whatever. Um, how long does it take? So you, so you get a guy that, uh, has the yoga block under his back foot or you get a guy that you've got to put the Jager band around his waist or you get a guy that's wearing the flipper on his back foot. How long does it usually take? What, what's kind of a range again for a coach that's wanting to do some things like this? How, how long as far as on a calendar, how many, how many swings, how many, whatever do you need to do those things before you can, you can kind of turn a guy loose. In other words, um, for it to happen without using the constraint and implement you know, obviously you're doing that to you're, – you're introducing those things to help this player to make a swing adjustment, mechanical adjustment, without necessarily saying, I want you to do this more or do this less. But how long do you need to create those feel type of things using constraints and implements before it's going to show up in a game, before you can sort of back off on it and sort of just go back to regular BP, regular T-work, regular front toss, if, that, if that's fair to say? Right. Um, I think it's, I think it's individual. I think, um, some guys it might take longer. Some guys it might be like this quick unlock snap of a finger and things are better. I'll give another example. I was, uh, working with a player who's super talented, uh, a freshman right now at, at Madison college. And, um, a guy that was getting like really tied up and, and tight to his body, basically his, his back elbow was getting like pinched into his body. So, he didn't have like the freedom and the space to have his barrel actually work uh, fully through the middle of the field. So what I did with him is I put a here. Here's another uh, swimming uh, tool. <laughs> so I put a a water floaty like around his back bicep. Um, so it's like top hand back bicep. And again, I didn't I didn't overly explain it to him. I said, Hey, I'm going to put this thing on you. Um, and I want you just to continue to try to drive the ball off the top of the L screen. When you have a, a water floaty on your back bicep, if you get pinched and too tight to your body and, and you don't give yourself like the space and freedom for your hands and your arms to work towards the middle of the field, 
you're going to know it because it's a water flow. It's filled with air. It's going to, it's going to like slam up against your body as you're trying to make your move to the ball. So by putting that thing on him, it just created like this freedom and this ability for his barrel to work super clean towards the middle of the field. We did that one day. And then ever since in the game, the kids got like two home runs, um, like two doubles, a triple, a couple lineouts, right? And I'm not saying like, I'm not taking credit for it. I, I do believe there has to be something to it. Like that feel helped him unlock something that allowed his performance on the field to, to be better. But there's also been other guys where I've tried this with where it's like, okay, we're, we're doing a, a certain implement or constraint. We're trying to make him feel things. His, his dialogue and his feedback to me is correct. And it's what I'm hoping he's, he, uh, it's what I'm hoping that it, uh, he would feel. But then the results in the game, you know, the movements aren't quite matching up quite yet in terms of, like, what's actually happening in the cage when they have these things on them versus when they're actually competing against the pitcher. It's just going to take a little bit more time. And I think that's where it's really important, like I mentioned earlier, don't get too uh, connected to just one implement or one constraint. Find a whole bunch of different implements and constraints that can establish the same feel. Run these guys through it. Um, but then what it really comes down to is when we find the ones that really create the best feel and the best movement for them, they need to stick with it. And like this kid I was talking about with the water floating in his back bicep, I told him after uh, the next day when he scrimmaged and he was just tearing the cover off the ball, I'm like, man, you would be crazy if you stopped swinging with a water floating on your back, uh, your back bicep. Like you need to stay with it because clearly this was an unlock for you and this was something that really, really help you in terms of your um, your confidence level and your production on the field. But it, it's a case-by-case basis, um, and that's where we can't rush to results. Um, we just have to, you know, be patient with some guys. But when you know that you're actually creating the right movements in the right field, you just keep going um, and keep going. And then, um, you know, over time, you hope that those movements and those adaptions kind of self-organize themselves within their bodies when they're actually moving and when it matters most when they're on the field. I, I feel, uh, well, I'm going to ask you this question first before I jump to my, what I started there. Creating feel, you've talked about feel a lot. Feel is something that I think a lot of coaches use that term. I don't know that people, that 100% of coaches out there can define that. Can you just take a minute just to define what it means to, to create feel or have a drill that is going to create feel and, and make you, maybe making the focus uh, instead of like internal mechanical type of cues, you keep your focus um, external while this this constraint, this implement does it for you and creates the feel. Can you just explain what that means um, and, and how you just just give a coach a uh, who's heard it and probably obviously it's one of those words that that in a to a point self defines, but to a point it doesn't. Can you just talk about what it means to help with a help a player to create some feel or have a drill that creates a, a feel, uh, or that that's the purpose of this thing is to um, create this feel in this player? What does that mean exactly to you? Well, I'll, I'll give you the technical term. Um, it's proprioception, and the definition of proprioception is perception or awareness of the position or movement of the body. Right. So like the example I would give you is like there's been plenty of guys that I've worked with in the past before I've really like gone down this road of, of player development where, you know, they might be burying their hands like their their hands are getting trapped and buried behind their body, which is making it really difficult for them to have um, clean entries and space to all parts of the plate. And you you try to like put their focus only on their hands. Right. Which is an internal thought. And you'll be talking to them. It's like you try all these different things and be like, hey, you're still burying your hands. Can you not feel that? No, I can't feel it. Like, I, I, I honestly, it feels like I'm doing it right, but they're not, right? So when it comes to establishing proprioception and giving them awareness of their movement and the positioning of their body, that's where this is different, and that's where I think we need to be creative and we need to find ways to... To, to help our guys with this. And I've found, like I've, like I've mentioned, like things like making the environment less stable for them to create more stability. 
like you put that slick thing under a guy's foot that has a heavy motor, doesn't have a very good strong front side when it comes to his swing, right? And you make that environment less stable for them, you're forcing feel. You're forcing them to feel like the the issue that they have within their swing because if they continue with the issue, the constraint or the implement that you're having them use is going to, like I said in the example of the guy with the big motor and the plastic piece under his front foot and triggering his swing, he will literally fall on his ass because the the environment in, that I've created for him is less stable. Um, so that in itself and with these implements or like with the band and pulling at the guy's front hip, I'm feeding the issue. If they allow me to feed the issue, their swings are going to suck. They're not going to be able to accomplish that external task of driving the ball off the top of the L screen. So again, I'm making the environment less stable for them. So if they need to self-organize to create the stability they need to accomplish the external task of hit the ball off the top of the L screen. So it's basically putting their bodies in awkward, using implements, using constraints in ways that they've never experienced before to force their bodies to do something different. And the thing that they're doing different is the feel that you hope that they grasp onto, that they self-organize with, that they can hold on to when they actually do go onto the field and, and compete against the pitcher. That, that answer your question? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say a minute ago before I asked you to define that was, was I started to say this, I, I feel dirty bringing up Twitter on these podcasts, but I feel like I need to because – Hitting Twitter is such a nasty place a lot of times, but it's it's a real part of our game. I think high school coaches, college coaches, they they at least listen to, if not participate, the debates um, and the different sides of of the hitting conversations on Twitter. I, there are coaches out there, Trevor, who would look at some things that you're doing and use the, use the term gimmicky. That's too gimmicky for me. That doesn't happen in a game. What, when is a guy ever going to – he's never going to wear a swim, uh, a swim flipper in a game. He's never going to wear a floaty on his arm in a game. Why would he do that in, in a practice setting? But I think you've laid out some, some reasons why. If, if you were to talk to a coach maybe that just is resistant just because he's had success doing other things. I think there are coaches out there, honestly, to give them the benefit of the doubt that have done things a different way for 15, 20, 25 years. It's worked. They've had really, really good hitters. They've had really good hitting teams. They've never done things like you're doing. So they look at it as, as something that's different, something that's foreign to them, and they're, they balk at it, right? They're, they're not uh, real quick to jump in and, and kind of join this um, – this style of coaching hitters. If you were to have a conversation with someone like that, or if there's someone listening to this and you sort of had a chance to address it, someone that would that would look at these things you're doing and say that's too gimmicky. That's not that's not really baseball. That's not, they don't they're not going to do this in a game. You see this on Twitter all the time. You see a guy that posts a drill that's uh, that uses some sort of some sort of a constraint or implement. And I think that there are some that are pretty well accepted by most coaches because they've been around for a long time. There's other stuff that maybe uses like swim gear or a football tucked under one of your arms for a particular reason to uh, – I've seen that done in drills for different things. How would you address someone who has that? Because I, I would say that – I'll just be the one to say this. Deep down, that coach is probably just a little bit – uh, taken aback by something that they haven't seen before, and maybe they it, it shakes them, shakes their confidence a little bit. Maybe it's something they're, they're not familiar with, so they're immediately going to reject it without really giving it a chance and and finding out whether this is something that could actually help them and help their own players. How would you address someone who's got those issues, got those questions, got that perspective that these um, these constraints and implements that you're talking about aren't the right thing for the game because they're not. I don't know how to say it, baseball specific enough. They're they're taking things that, um, uh, they're creating environments that aren't that aren't going to happen in a game. But obviously, you've seen good results. How would you address that that coach that was maybe listening to this? Well, I, this probably won't be the most popular answer, but then I'll give a more popular answer. Um, there's there's always going to be people, and I know there's going to be people with like these ideas and these things that I'm working through within player development that are going to balk at it. And for me personally, from 
where I'm at and where I think this is heading, I actually welcome it. <laughs> uh, and I think it's I think it's the competitor inside of me because I I believe so much in what this is creating and what this is helping guys do with all that we're talking about with actually being able to establish feel, um, understand the sports site behind it and that we can only handle one thought at a time. So how can I organize my training environment with a specific player to help them when they're on the field, keep their thoughts solely on the constant object, which is the baseball, but understand how their body's moving and what they're feeling. So if there are people that are overly stubborn with how they've done things, I'll say this though. I mean, there's, there's plenty of guys out there that probably will balk at this that have had a ton of success doing things that with the, the way that they have been doing, you know, more, more power to them. And like, when you feel like you're having success, it's really hard, especially for people that have been in the game for a really long time to want to change your ways. But for me, what it always comes down to is what am I doing to help the player? And what is, what am I doing to make the development of the player as powerful as it can possibly be? So what I would tell all coaches, and I think we all know this is, you know, I don't, I'm not 100% on board with the whole, like, adapt or die thing. What I love about this thought process with the implements and the constraints is, like, I'm not changing the overall art of the swing. Like, I do have a problem with the, the hitting Twitter people where it's like they're explaining something to you that's never been said before, and when you watch, like, the training environment what they're putting the players through, I have a really hard time connecting it to the best swings I see at the highest levels, right? But with like these com- constraints and implements, you're not changing the art of the swing because you're not making everybody a one-size-fits-all. You're looking at them as individuals and trying to help them with specific um, constraints and implements, whatever, to create the feel that they need to be successful with whatever their skill set is. You know, it's not about turning every hitter into a home run hitter, even though with the way the game is right now, guys fall into that trap. It's like all they see is home runs. Oh, I better be able to do that or I'm not going to make it to to the big leagues. It's about understanding who you are, what makes you successful. We as coaches, we need to understand that also. And then creating an environment that allows these guys to maximize their skill sets the best way possible and not turn them all into the same person. So I would just tell those coaches that, you know, you, it, it's important to um, be open, open-minded, and always the, the thought process, I believe, is that it always has to come down to what am I doing, what is my thought process, what is my philosophy that's going to help my player create um, the best version of himself as quickly as possible. Um in the time that I have with them. For four-year coaches, they have them for four years. For junior college, we only had them for two years. But the one thing I will say about what's unique about this is, you know, like with the unlock of the player that put the the floaty on his arm and then went out and performed, I think this is also a training that, and I don't have a big enough sample size yet, but I do feel like if we can create these individual fields for these guys that we do have the possibility of, helping them make adjustments faster, which every player wants, every coach wants. And, um, you know, I think that's a really powerful thing to look into. So it's, it's um, I know for a fact that there's going to be a lot of people that will balk at it and think it's too weird. Well, you're not going to take a swimming flipper up to the plate. Of course not. But when they're in the cage, it doesn't matter. The, the only thing that matters the most is it's creating the feel that they need to so that when they are up at the plate, they know how their body's supposed to move. One last thing that I want to ask you, Trevor, before we wrap this up, is just how you got here. How did you get to this? How did you get to a point where these things we've talked about in this podcast have become important to you and, and really one of the main drivers for your coaching um, the, 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 your coaching style and sort of how you're going to approach players in the future? Was it something that happened recently? Was it working with a specific player? Was it just was it reading that you did or talking to somebody? Like, Just what, what exactly – uh, what what pieces were put in place for you to get to where you are right now? Well, I think it's a combination of my experiences as a player um, and being in certain environments 
and understanding and remembering always how, how difficult this game is. Um, that will never leave me. I think that's really benefited me in my coaching career, that I wasn't like a standout player where things always came easy to me. Like I really had to grind and work to get the most out of my ability. Um, but like, I, I do think a big part of this is like this broad scheme of things like sport, trying to bring like the sports psych and the baseball sports psych concepts into the training. Like that's been a huge part of it. Like understanding the whole idea that we can only handle one thought at a time. So why would I ever want to organize my training to where I'm making that more difficult for them when they're actually in the batter's box? Um, but a big part of it too is I've, I've alluded to it. Uh, I have some really, really smart, good baseball people in my corner that I've gotten to know over the last um, year and a half, two years or so that are doing things in a very similar fashion that have had really good results in terms of what, what actually shows up when their players are on the field. So, and I'll just say this, like, we all, it's all trial and error. And I used to be the coach where when I think back to how I handled my instruction, it was very internal. It was always one piece at a time. And, you know, from watching and being a part of those teams and then watching the guys go up to the batter's box and watch them literally be frozen and not be able to pull the trigger on fastballs that are fat over the plate. I saw it happen more and more and more. And I finally got to a point where it's like, I need to do something different because I'm done with this. I'm done with having guys freeze up at the batter's box because they can't control their thoughts. There has to be a different way. There has to be a more creative way that I can go about this to help them um, become better players, but also allow that compete factor to show up the most when they're actually in the batter's box competing against the pitcher. So this all has really, this has been like a, a stepping stone process for me probably within the last two years. But I really feel like within the last two months or so, it's really all started to really come together as one common vision of I can approach things this way. Like I said, it's not like I'm never going to give another guy an internal cue. I will. I'm just going to do it a heck of a lot less. And I'm going to try to be as creative and learn as much as I can with these like ideas of the constraints and the implements to force feel, to change the environment, to, to make them actually understand how their bodies are moving in space to um, help themselves organize as much as possible so they can compete at the highest level. And I'll just say this for the listeners, um, you know, if, if, like this is a, to figure out like where you can get more information on this, this type of stuff and like learn more about it if it doesn't treat them and interest them. Um, I have an Instagram page that I made that I'm posting a lot of these implements and a lot of these constraints on. Um, it's uh, baseball, no, yeah, baseball underscore verb if they want to take a peek at some of the things that I'm posting. 108 Performance, uh, Eugene Bleeker is phenomenal, and they're approaching player development in a whole completely different way. Um, and then there's one more guy. I'm going to pull it up here. I want to make sure I get his uh, his Instagram. And yours, Trevor, not to cut you off, but you're on Instagram, it's, tr- it's baseball underscore B-U-R-M. B-U-R-M, berm. Okay. And then one other guy that I've been having a lot of conversations with is Ryan McMillan. Um, and his page, let's see here. Should have been more prepared for this. OKC underscore cages underscore and underscore performance. <laughs> That's a really long one. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's another guy that is, is really passionate and into um, – the use of implements and the other one that the one the one where this one's easier it's, it's Ryan also Ryan McMillan the underscore baseball underscore lab and he works with a lot of uh, he's in the private sector and he works a lot with um, you know youth through high school I think he works with some college guys too but he posts a lot of really good examples of implements and constraints that he, he uses with his players that um has had some pretty powerful effects in a really short amount of times with the guys that he's worked with also. Awesome. This has been really, really great. Uh, so much great information shared, especially for someone that's interested in hitting. 
that wants to get better, wants to develop, wants to hear how things are done at the, at the college and pro level. This has been great. This is Trevor Burmeister, everybody. He's a minor league hitting coach of the Colorado Rockies. Trevor, is there anything that we, that we didn't get into today or anything you want to say to wrap this up but that's on your mind that I didn't ask about? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I just think that for us, our motivating factor is, is always to impact our players in the most powerful way. And um, I, I do think it's important for us to remain open-minded and be creative, constantly search for more answers. Um, like, I've been doing this, I don't even know how many years it's been, because I don't really keep track of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, it takes time, and it takes a lot of trial and error, um, and it takes a lot of ability to also talk to yourself and figure out, you know, are the things that I'm doing, are, are, is this working? Is this helping? You know, and is there ways that I can actually do this better? And, you know, there's a lot of really good, smart baseball people out there, really good resources that we can grasp onto. It's about finding those right people to build our own philosophies of, of how we're going to move forward. And I've been incredibly fortunate and been around some incredibly good people. Like, I've already talked about the network that I'm talking to, with like Eugene and Ryan McMillan. Um, but a lot of this also comes down to getting in the trenches, getting your feet dirty, trying things, throw crap on the wall, see if it sticks. If it doesn't, throw it away, move on to the next thing. And I've had some players, even individual players, that I've spent a lot of time with that are incredibly driven, have these big dreams and these big goals for them themselves. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And from being in the trenches with them and being able to put their own messy puzzle piece together – you know, it's really helped me as a coach, um, you know, kind of develop myself in, in, uh, in terms of being in the trenches and, 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 and trying to come up with these answers. So um, it takes a lot of work, but, you know, um, you know be open and, and, and try to get the, the most out of you, what you can with the players that you get to work with. I don't know if you can hear my dog barking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> faintly, 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 but... Dog's excited just like we are. Trevor, this has been awesome. Again, this is Trevor Burmeister. Um, Trevor, I, I just appreciate talking to guys who are forward thinkers, creative in what they do, have a good feel for what it takes to be successful. And I'll be excited to see what happens with you as you continue to progress. Hopefully we've got a full season for you next year in the minor leagues to be able to develop guys. And, and hopefully we're able to have you back here on more podcasts. But I sincerely appreciate the time that you gave us today and all the information you shared with us. Absolutely. I'll just say this, too. Just one more funny story here to wrap this up. Um, I've, I've been also probing, so like we've been talking about with like COVID, I've been talking to a lot of Rockies players that have been assigned to me, and I've been sharing these ideas with them. But now we're talking about professional athletes that have signed contracts. Some of them might be multi-million dollar signing bonus guys, and the idea of like putting a, a water flipper on their foot. And I was talking to one of them, he's great, uh, and he said that, I was like, Greg, what would you think You know, if I... I said, hey, you're lunchy, whatever, you know, I want to put this water flipper on your foot and have you take some swings. And he said to me, he goes, Burb, if you told me to hit with my pants down, I'd do it. If it was a potential unlock, that would make me produce on the field. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, I think it fits with them, too. The intrigue level is really high with these guys also with these creative ideas. So um, we're not even talking professional players here. I think this really fits with college all the way down to you. We're going to have some really powerful impacts to, to them and their development. So thanks for having me, Jeff. This has been great. Awesome. Really cool stuff. Thanks again, Trevor. Best of luck to you.